Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of Voo Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Chapter six, starting in verse one, this is what the scripture says. It says that Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Now, where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Watch this, verse five. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Verse six, watch this. And he, Jesus, was amazed at their lack of faith. I wanna take a few moments today and uh, right there on YouTube, I just feel God's presence right here in our studio. I believe it's translating right now on this Sunday morning to right where you are. I wanna preach as we close out this collection, Small Faith, I wanna preach from the subject, splinters, logs, and doors splinters, logs, and doors. And would you pray with me as we study God's Word together? Lord, we thank you so much that you have gathered us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we're gathering today in person. We thank you that we're gathering by way of technology. Lord, we thank you for the fact that as this message goes forth, it lives on. There's somebody driving in their car down 95 today, listening to this podcast weeks later. We believe, Lord, that your Word does not return void. So today, Lord, we step out of the way. We turn our eyes towards Jesus, the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. And we ask today that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that you would transform us, that we might look more like Jesus after the teaching and preaching of your word. We believe all these things in the name of Jesus. And if you agree with that prayer, all of God's people said, come on, all of God's people said, come on, make a little bit of noise if you love Jesus in this place. Anybody out there uh, like me on church online that um, when you hear a song that you like, well, baby, you, you play that thing into the ground. Where, where are those people at? Just, just, you, just let it, you just let it go on repeat. I'm talking about like you put a song on repeat for an hour straight. Can I get a witness if I know who, who's agreeing with me today? I, I, I am... Uh, one of these people. This is, uh, this is classic Rich Wilkerson Jr. I was reflecting this week as it's my birth week and just thinking about some of my strengths, but then of course, thinking about some of my flaws. And when it comes to me DJ in a party, I am that dude who tends to run it back a few times. Uh, I am that guy who just completely consumes the content until there is nothing left. I eat it, you know, you know people that eat wings and they just kind of eat, they leave some meat on the, not me, I just destroy the whole thing. I just play it over and over and over and over again. In fact, if I'm really being honest, I, um, I play the song until I get used to it. How, how many know that when um, you start to get used to something, you, you tend to stop seeing that it's special? I think for a lot of us today that might be watching, sometimes we begin to neglect the things in our life that are quite special, not because they're not special, but just simply because we just got used to it. What if I told you your marriage is still special? You just got used to it. What if I told you that that job that you got three years ago is still special? You just got used to it. Your apartment, the one that you were happy about two years ago, it's still special. You just got used to it. God's word, still special. You just got used to it. I wonder today what is robbing you from activating your faith. I wonder if you're struggling with this little thing called familiarity. 
Until I got used to it, it was special. But then once I got used to it, it stopped being special. How many know that faith and familiarity are strangers? We are continuing and concluding a five-week collection of talks entitled Small Faith. And what we have been learning about for the last five weeks is that God can do a whole lot with a little. That God tends to do big stuff with even small stuff. That you and I, meet, we must understand that God doesn't need big faith. In fact, Jesus himself said, all I need is mustard seed size faith. Think about a big oak tree for a moment. A big oak tree has small roots that go into the ground. You can see the big oak tree, but you can't see the small roots. How many of you know, if you remove those small roots, that big oak tree comes falling down. Although I can't see the roots visibly, how many know that which is invisible is just as powerful as that which is visible? This is how faith works in our life. It is not about the size of your faith, but rather it is about the size of your God. It has never been about the quality of your faith, but rather it's all about what is your faith connected to? If you just have faith in faith, well, friends, at some point, that thing's gonna come crashing down. But if you make a decision just to get a little bit of faith, just to attach a little bit of roots to the person of Jesus, it doesn't matter what the storm looks like. You might bend, but you're not gonna break. It's called small faith. It's called little faith. God's not looking for big faith. He's just looking for, for small faith. What I love about Jesus is that Jesus, he doesn't require a lot, but he does require something. He says, give me something to work with. I, I need something to work with. I wonder today, what is stopping you from giving God something? There's many things that come against our faith. There's things like fear that rob us of faith. There's things like sin that stop us from operating in faith. Shame will dampen your faith. Doubt will destroy your faith. But today I really want to lean in to this enemy of faith that I believe robs people of small faith probably more often than the other things. It's probably more rampant in the body of Christ than we ever realize. And this enemy of faith is this one word called familiarity. I just got familiar. I don't know if you've ever heard this statement or phrase that familiarity breeds contempt. It's absolutely true that the longer I'm around something, the more that I stare at someone, the more that I do life with someone, something, the more and more I become accustomed to their flaws, their weaknesses, the more I see the wrinkles and more I see the blemishes. And before I know it, that thing that used to attract me is now distracting me. That thing that I used to gravitate towards is now pushing me away. Until I got used to it. I've noticed this flaw. I mean, I'm reflecting today. I'm 37 and I'm just reflecting on my life. And I've noticed that I have this weakness that when I get used to something, I stop seeing its beauty. I just start to see its weaknesses more than its strengths. I start to exploit that which is missing instead of celebrating that which is. And so I've actually tried to hack this. Um, in fact, I, I've been doing something recently. I'm one of these kind of people. I don't know if you're anything like me, but have you ever found yourself watching like one of your favorite like Netflix series and somewhere while you're watching the series that you love so much, you, you start to have this feeling of just like depression come over you because you know it's only a matter of time that the series is coming to an end. You, you ever been like two episodes away? You're like, no, 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 don't go. No, no. I've noticed this about myself that like, yo, I don't want the series to end. So my hack has been recently is that I slow the series down. Instead of consuming it in one night, I take my time and watch it over a month. There's this series you might not know about. It's called Cobra Kai. Some of you out there, you have no idea about the beauty and the wonder of this series. Cobra Kai is a Netflix series based upon the Karate Kid from 30 years ago. In fact, it's more than 30 years. The first one came out 37 years ago. 
I grew up as a young boy and I wanted to be Ralph Macchio, Elizabeth Shue, she's still, never mind. She's beautiful even today. Allie, I mean, that's, that was, she was it, bro. Crane kick, you don't even know the soundtrack. You're the best around. No one else can take you down because you're the best. I mean, dude, I can't tell you how many katas I've done in my bedroom. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful movie that never ever needed to even take 30 years of a hiatus. But finally, after 37 years, Netflix got the great idea. We ought to come back with the original characters and we ought to come back into their life right now. It's called Cobra Kai. You guys, you don't understand, I'm watching this show. I'm just like, this is, this is unbelievable. The first season, I, I, I probably watched it and I just watched it straight. I just consumed it in one sitting. By the time I got to season two, I was like, no, no. I just, I, this, is, this is nostalgic. I need this in my life. And so now I'm, I'm still watching season three. I decided I would slow it down, that I would enjoy it and not get too used to it. I wonder how many times God does this in our lives. I wonder how many times God looks at you and I, and he understands the human condition. He knows our typical behavior. He knows our typical response. And what he does is he looks down upon you and I and says, you know what? I'm going to create a boundary. I know these people want all that I have to offer them, but instead of just giving it to them all in one sitting, I'm going to reveal myself to them over time. Can I preach it this way to you? God is not like a Netflix series. Everything he has for you cannot be consumed in one sitting. Your God is not a one hit wonder. You can't put him on repeat and just get used to him. He's too big for that. He's too great for that. Instead, he slows it down. And what he says to us is he says, that if you want a real relationship with me, you're gonna to have to learn how to wait on me. I don't just have mountaintops in store for you. No, I'm gonna take you deep into the valley where we will develop intimacy. God is not looking for distant fans. He wants intimate followers. And if familiarity breeds contempt, imagine what intimacy can create. I wonder today if you feel like you're waiting on God, could it be that he's just slowing it down, that he might continue to reveal himself to you in a way that you're not just simply walking around saying, I'm used to God. No, there is still more for you to discover about our God. His mercies are new every morning. You haven't even got to the best part yet. I don't want you to miss out on small faith. And there is an enemy, there is a stranger to your faith. And it is this word known as familiarity. I believe this principle and this truth is laid out incredibly in Mark chapter six. We have committed ourselves as a church in this season to go through one gospel all the way to June. Here we are on March 28th and we're still preaching out of the book of Mark. Mark chapter six is powerful because Jesus is with his disciples and the scripture says that he, he left there and went to his hometown. Everyone say hometown. Accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard were amazed. Jesus has left one assignment and now he has gone back to his hometown. This is quite normal for rabbis in that day and age. They would go and they would uh, be itinerant. They would teach in different places and then they would typically come home to recalibrate and come home to rest. And Jesus has come home. I wonder, as I'm teaching today, when you hear that word home, what comes to your mind? What, what pictures do you have? Immediately when I hear the word home, I am taken all the way back to my childhood. I'm taken right back to Tacoma, Washington, where I was born and where I spent the first 14 years of my life. I had an incredible childhood. Uh, I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, right in front of the Narrows Bridge. 7847 North Woodworth Avenue, Tacoma, Washington, 98406. Anyone still remember their first phone number? 253-759-2749, baby. Somebody out there watching like, what's a phone number? Uh, you've never memorized a number in your life, let alone you don't even know your number right now. No, back in the day, remember you had to memorize all those phone numbers? I knew all my friends' phone numbers, you know? You'd be sitting there just dialing up people. 
I had an awesome child. I loved my childhood. I was thinking about it today, like, man, 37 years later, bro, I'm just looking back. I had a beautiful childhood. I I loved my neighborhood. I lived in a safe neighborhood. I loved the kids on my street. We did just kid things. We did things like we went outside. I know some of you are watching right now, like, what? Where did you go? We, we went outside. We had an imagination, you know? We, we could make up games with, with a ball. Like, you gave us a ball. We didn't come back in till the sun set kickball and dodgeball and, and tether ball. Anything. We put any word in front of ball and we had a game. It's just what we did, bro. Just We played in the grass. We weren't afraid of it, you know? Our whole life wasn't in front of a screen playing video games. I think I actually have some resentment right now. Pray for me. I'm coming at you hard. Just, we did kid stuff. We played basketball. We, we rollerbladed. We, we skateboarded. I, we used to have a half pipe in this front lot in front of my house that all the neighborhood kids would come and ride the, the half pipe with a skateboard. This past week, I was uh, visiting Calvary Chapel up in Fort Lauderdale with some of our team and they had this huge skate park. And I, we walked in and someone said, bro, do you know how to skate? I was like, are you challenging me? You know, <laughs> at 37 years of age, I found myself on a half pipe once again. It is so weird getting old because while I was riding the half pipe, I can't even explain to you the thrill that I had in my soul. I was like, yo, I still got it. You know, I'm like, I was like, Adrian, I was like, Adrian, film this, bro. Get this. I got to show my wife, film this, you know? And in my mind, you guys, I'm like Tony Hawk, like little, I'm like, whoa, this is risky stuff. Like I'm imagining everyone that's in the skateboard, like, bro, look at this man. This man's the man, yo. Like he's X Games material. That's what I felt like. Yo, you ever watch yourself back on video? You watched, I felt so cool. It looked so weak, dude. Someone, someone commented on my Instagram, was that, was that filmed in slow motion? I'm like, don't be a hater, you know? Uh, I had a great childhood. When I think about the word home, I think about a space that I was accepted, that I was loved, that I was cared for, that I was protected. I think about a space that I was invited to be cared for and valued, not for what I did, but rather for who I was. But I'm aware today that as I talked simply about this idea of coming home, that, that many of you, that's not at all the picture that you have of home. In fact, many of you right now, when you hear the word home, you start to have anxiety because that was the place that you were abused. That was the place that you were neglected, that was the place that you were betrayed, that was the place that you were abandoned. There was a lot of same houses on my street, but how many know just because you have the same house doesn't mean you got the same home? A house and a home are two very, very different things. Psychologists have argued for many, many years, what's more important, nature or nurture? I know they both matter, but if you're gonna ask me the question, I'm leaning towards nurture every single time. One of my best friends in my neighborhood was a young kid and his house looked a whole lot like mine, but his home couldn't have been any more different from mine. His dad was an alcoholic and he would go home and he and his sister were verbally abused. And if he were to hear the phrase, it feels like home, it would not conjure up a picture of peace and serenity, but rather it would conjure up a place of fear, a place where he felt like he was constantly trying to protect himself. See, many times, Home is where our story began. I suppose if you're watching today on Church Online, I don't know who's listening. I don't know how you're watching this. I just want to remind some people as we're diving into God's word that you might have started somewhere, but just because you started there doesn't mean that you have to end there. Your story might have began in that place, but baby, it doesn't have to finish in that place. You might be in a spot right now where you are desperate, you are scared, but may I remind you, God is still writing your story. That story is not over yet. Keep on trusting Jesus. It's gonna be worth it. Where I began is not where I have to end. And Jesus, he's coming home. And as he comes home, we start to get a glimpse of the place where he was raised. 
Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem, but he was raised in an area known as Nazareth. Nazareth is not a cool place. Nazareth is not a, a big place. It's a small place. It, it doesn't even get mentioned uh, very many times, even in history. It's just this small little town where Jesus was raised and where he spent the majority of his life. And now here he is and he's out and about and he's doing miracles and signs and wonders and people are being saved. And now he's just coming back home, just coming back to a place to recalibrate, just coming back to the place where he can find some rest only to discover that the people that are at home do not see him the way that you and I see him today. Scripture says that on the Sabbath, he got up. This is Mark chapter six. We're picking up in our text and he, he got up and he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, which was his custom. And he began to teach. So just get the idea. He's in his hometown church and he's preaching and he's teaching there. And the scripture says that as he began to teach those that watched, they became amazed with him. They start saying things like, yo, where did he get all of this knowledge? How did he learn all of this stuff? How many know that questions are, are powerful? Like, I hope you understand that, that oftentimes the questions you ask are more important than the answers you get. The world you're living in was caused from the questions that you've asked. You create your world from your questions. It's how you learn. It's, it's how you grow. There's a beautiful Chinese proverb. It says, he who asks a question remains a fool for five minutes. He who does not ask remains a fool forever. That's called a fire. <laughs> see, see, good questions inform, but great questions transform. I want to be very, very clear today. As they begin to ask questions, I know there's people that are watching today, church online, and maybe a friend told you to join the stream. Maybe you know somebody who goes to VU and they're just always pesting you saying, yo, just watch the stream. Just, just please listen to my pastor for a moment. I think it'll encourage you. I think it'll help you. But you're watching, you're saying, cool, I'll watch, but I have questions. I just wanna be crystal clear with you today. Faith is not intimidated by questions. It just, it just needs to be said. God is not afraid of your questions. It's okay to have questions. Ask questions. I think Jesus wants us to bring every question we got to him. He loves our question. There's no doubt that our God is mysterious. And there is no doubt on this journey that if you're gonna put your trust and your faith in him, there are going to be seasons that you're gonna actually have to step in and say, I don't fully understand, I don't fully get it, but I'm choosing to activate my faith. Listen, I want you to write it down this way. Faith doesn't overlook questions. Instead, it chooses to believe despite not always having the answer. Questions and faith are not in opposition. Your question is not in opposition of your faith. What is in opposition of your faith is your intention. Because what we discover quickly is that as these people are watching Jesus teach, they begin to question him, but right away their questions reveal their heart and the intention and the motive as to why they are asking. Because they start with going, yo, where did he get all this knowledge? How does he know all this stuff? But then they start going through a list of things and say, isn't this just the carpenter? They're looking at him and just saying, wait a minute, how do you know all this stuff? Aren't you just a carpenter? Have you ever felt that way that people look at you sometimes and just say, wait, 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 chill out, chill out. You're just a girl. Okay, you're just a man. Bro, chill out. You're, you're just a student. You're just a kid, man, okay? Whoa, hold your horses. You're just a student. You're just, you're just an employee. You're just a business owner. I feel like most of my life, I've had people around me just telling me, you're just that. You're just, just that. Just stay there. Just stay in that box. We understand that. We get that. Just be there. And here these people are looking at Jesus and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Bro, just, how do you have all this information we saw you grow up. You were the little boy from the town on the block skateboarding by. You're just a carpenter. You better stay in your lane. They say, just a carpenter. They, they say, isn't that the son of Mary? 
Now, it might not seem like much to you as you read it, but this is a complete insult. Number one, in that time period, this is not where we stand today, thank God, but there was poor thinking, and the poor thinking was that women were second-class citizens. When someone was spoken about, they were never the son of a woman, but rather they were the son of the father, the son of Joseph. So they're insulting him. If they're not insulting him, what they might be doing, secondly, what scholars believe, is they are trying to declare that he is illegitimate. You remember, Mary was the woman who got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You don't think people back then, if they would have had Twitter and Instagram, wouldn't have been chatting all about that? Yeah, right, she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. More like she was creeping late in the night and some reason Joseph decides to stay with her. She might have some other kids and those might be Joseph's kids, but that guy, Jesus, well, we'll just call him the son of Mary. No matter how you look at it, they are insulting him. They go through his lineage. We know your brothers and aren't your two sisters here with us right now? They were saying out loud, listen, um, we don't like who you are becoming. We don't like who you're growing into. We don't like who you're declaring that you are. Why don't you come on back and humble yourself? Uh, you're just from Nazareth. You're a nobody. We, we, we know you. Listen to me. They are not asking questions to learn. They are asking questions to be heard. They're not looking for truth. They're just declaring condescending facts quickly exposes the intention of their heart that they are critics and a critical spirit will always give way to a doubting heart. I don't know who you are today. God's not intimidated by your questions, but I just sure hope that you seek him with pure intentions and pure motives that you would understand at some point faith, it doesn't overlook the question, but instead it makes a choice and it makes a decision that I'm going to believe even though I don't fully understand. See, questions aren't bad, but they can be wrong. I could preach. Questions aren't bad, but, but friends, they, they, they can be wrong. Put that in the chat. Questions aren't bad, but they can be wrong. I've had the chance since I was probably 25 or 27 to get to travel and preach all over the world. One of the great honors of my life. And I get a chance sometimes to sit with young leaders and talk to them. And I love encouraging young leaders. and I love helping people move further, uh, discover their God potential. But I'll get questions that come my way sometimes and they're not bad questions. I'm just going, oh, I don't know if that's the best question. Oh man, how do I, how do I increase my influence? Not a bad question, but potentially the wrong question. Maybe the better question is, is how do I, how do I serve people better? Oh man, you know, how do I get on the platform? I mean, not a bad question, but potentially the wrong question. Maybe you should be asking God, how do I discover my, my purpose? How do I make more money? How do I increase my income? Not, not a bad question, but maybe just the wrong question. Maybe you should be asking yourself, how do I increase my impact? I wonder how many times we come to God and the question isn't bad, it's just the wrong question and it's revealing our motivation and it's revealing our intention. Here's these guys and they're looking at Jesus and they're like, you're just a carpenter. You're just a carpenter. You can't be more than that. How did you get this knowledge? Where's this wisdom? This is Mary's son. Let's just insult him. Come on. We actually, we never even believed you were legitimate to begin with. I know your sister. I know your brother. I know where you came from. There is no way that you could grow into this. Why don't you just step on back a little bit? Their questions are not for learning. Their questions are that others can hear them. I wonder how many of us today were asking God questions, but they're, they're the wrong question. God, when will this opposition end? How about God? Can you help me find the opportunity amidst the opposition? Some of us are sitting here today and we're going, God, I just... Come on, I don't know, why do I feel so overlooked? And I think we should be saying, God, let me find confidence in Christ alone. God, when am I gonna get more? Maybe you ought to say, God, teach me how to value what I have right here, right now. God, I wanna ask the right question. What had happened was, is these men had gotten used to Jesus. And like a song that I played till it's worn out, find me another one, get me something better. They had just been used to him. They were just familiar with him. And didn't matter how much faith that they had because their faith 
was being attacked by familiarity. Listen to me. The scripture says, as they stood back and asked questions, this critical spirit, it resulted in a doubting heart to the point that the scripture says that they were offended with Jesus, offended with him. Listen to me. Overly familiar equals easily offended. You ever notice that the people you get the most offended with tend to be the people you're the most familiar with? Is it ever just odd to you that the people that we hurt the most are the ones that we love the most? What's that about? It's just that we're not checking, we're not fighting back against familiarity and familiarity creates complacency. And complacency destroys passion. Listen to me. Relationships without passion will never have a purpose. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but some of you, you're looking at your marriage right now. And you're like, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to solve this. I got, a, I got a word for you. It's time that you get your passion back. The only way you get your passion back is when you step back and you slow down and you put things into perspective and you say, I'm gonna place value on this person. This person matters to me. I'm done being overly familiar with that which God has given me. Your friendship. Some of you are just, you're overly familiar with the community God's given you. Your faith in God, you've just gotten overly familiar with God. You're just unimpressed with his blessings. You're walking around day in and day out and you're missing out on the supernatural that's happening all around you. Epic things, friends, are taking place, but you've just gotten used to it. And what happens to us, what happens to us is that because we start to let our guard down and because we start to get complacent, laziness sets in and we start getting lazy with our values and we start getting lazy with our practices and we start getting lazy with our, with our habits. Before you know it, we are susceptible to being offended because the moment something doesn't go the way we want it to go, now there's this big gaping hole for offense. And I just want to say it to you this way. Offense is the bait of Satan. The devil wants you to live offended. If he can get you offended, he can put you in a position that you are no longer open to the blessing of God, but now you have become closed to the blessing of God. Nowhere in the scripture does it say, blessed are the offended. No, when you start living offended, you start living stuck. You start living stagnant. You don't move, you don't progress. You're just in the same old place year after year. Look at what Proverbs says. This scripture spoke to me so clearly. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. Just get that for a second. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. Another translation says that a brother offended is harder to win over or take over a strong city. Meaning it's easier to take down a fortified city in war than it is to remove your brother's offense. What is the scripture saying? The scripture is saying the only way offense can be removed is you can't remove my offense. I can't remove your offense. The only way you get rid of offense is when you choose personally and individually to do the work. A spirit of offense will never let go of you. You have to let go of it. We get these offenses going in our life. And the offense came because we started being overly familiar with something that was quite special, that was quite powerful, that was quite meaningful, that was quite miraculous. And before you know it, now we are living in lazy world and we've made ourselves susceptible. The moment something doesn't go the way we want it to go, the moment someone becomes something we didn't want them to become, the moment someone says something we didn't want them to say, the moment someone does something we wouldn't want them to do, we get offended. Has anyone just noticed in 2021, we live offended. I mean, you can't walk out of your house without offending somebody. And everybody's just easily offended. I'm offended with my wife. I'm offended with my kids. My kids are three. I'm offended with them. I can't believe, what do you think? You're, uh, you're, that's offensive. I'm offensive with the, the server at the restaurant. We're just, we're offended. Everywhere we go, we're living offended. And the enemy loves it because he closes us off from the blessing of God. See, long before Michael Jackson coined the phrase, it's time you start with the man in the mirror. Jesus already said it. <laughs> Matthew chapter seven, verse three, Jesus said it this way. He says, why do you see the speck 
that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is speaking directly to us because this is where a lot of us live right now. A lot of us, we live going, man, uh, I would stop being offended if he would simply apologize. No, no, but I, would, I wouldn't still be offended if she would just change her ways. But Proverbs already told us there is no way that I can remove the offense from somebody. It would be easier for me to take down an entire city. The only way the offense is gonna go is when somebody takes personal responsibility for themselves. And so Jesus, he counters it by saying to all of us, we're so good at pointing out what other people need to do. And if other people would do it, then we could finally have peace. Then we could finally have joy. Then we could finally have harmony. But Jesus says, yo, you're so focused on the speck in your brother's eye. You don't even realize you got an entire log in your eye. Just walking around. Look at everybody. No, I'm offended. No, they're, they're, they're mean to me. And there's a log in our eye. Please get the picture, friends. Jesus is back in his hometown. He's opening up the word. They have the Messiah in the flesh. But there they are, overly familiar, now easily offended. They got a log in their eye. They can't even see who's in front of them. Salvation awaits them, but offense prevents them. There's something big in front of them, but something small is stopping them. And a small offense can steal a big blessing in our lives. You gotta get rid of that log. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta take it out of your eye. You can't live offended any longer. You're trapped in your offense. It is the bait of Satan that he wants to rob the blessing of God from your life. About a week or so ago, I was walking outside in, in my backyard and on our, on our deck and I was barefoot and I didn't notice it at the time, but a little splinter went into my heel. And it was interesting, later that night, I noticed that like, something was in my heel and so I, I went to my wife, I said, babe, um, do we have any tweezers? And so she went to the kitchen and then she went to the bathroom and she was trying to find it. She's like, no, we, we don't have. I was like, okay, cool, don't worry. Uh, I said, babe, can you get me some tweezers uh, tomorrow? Cause I think I got a splinter in my heel. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next day came and she, she didn't get the tweezers. Um, I said, babe, I, you know, hey, hey, I, I got this, can you? Can you get me some tweezers? She said, yeah, I got, I got, I'm gonna get you tweezers, don't worry. I said, okay, thank you, thank you. The next day I came in, she just, you know, life just happens and she just, no, no tweezers for rich. And so uh, about five days in, I said, babe, you know, my birthday's coming up and um, the, the, still got this, still got this splinter in my heel. It's amazing. I think I went like seven days and it wasn't Don Cherie's fault. It was my failure to get in the car go buy some tweezers. After about eight days, the eighth day, I don't know what it is. I, I couldn't even see it anymore. I had heard some fact that like, eventually your body will reject a splinter. I was like, I'll just tough it out, you know? I wonder how many people right now, you've got a small offense in your life. You're like, I'm just gonna tough it out. I'm just gonna tough it out. I'm just gonna walk through it. I'm just gonna walk through it. It's not a big deal. It's not, it's not, it's not stopping me. It's not preventing anything in my life. Finally, I got some tweezers and sat down on my couch and I pulled out deep under my skin, probably a half inch splinter. I can't explain to you by day eight how much pain I was. I couldn't walk anywhere barefoot because it was too much pain. This little tiny thing was preventing this big body from the fullness of activity that I was designed to have. I wonder how many of us out there right now were saying, yo, if you'd get me some tweezers, I, I'd get the splinter out. Yo, if, if you would come over and apologize, I'd, I'd take the log out. If, if you would just say what I want you to say and do what I want you to do and just be who I want you to be, then, then, then my life could be going good, but we don't realize that we've become offended. We've become offended. 
The scripture says that Jesus, he, he speaks up because he, he's watching them. He hears their questions and their questions reveal their heart and their heart is, well, it's critical. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. What a scripture. It's such a shame. I mean, you got the Messiah. He's from your town and he's in your church but you're so familiar that you become offended now because he's not what you want him to be. And now you're standing there and you're missing the blessing of his presence. You're missing the blessing of his salvation. You're missing the blessing of the supernatural. And literally, Jesus, he says back to him, it's only in his own hometown that a prophet is without honor. And that word honor is so vital that all of us catch because this is one of the values of our church. It's how we started. I pray that as long as I'm leading this community, that we would never for one moment take the people on our left and on our right for granted, but rather we would be vocal with our honor, that we would declare out loud what you mean to me, what I see in you. See, honor means to place value on something, to place value on someone. When I value something, when I value someone, I care for them, I protect them. But it's only in his own hometown where people are familiar, where people have gotten used to what they think that he is, that they stop protecting and they stop caring and they stop valuing. You see, you gotta hear me. It is honor that breaks down the door to the supernatural. Please hear me loud and clear. It is a culture of honor that unlocks the door that is between us and the supernatural. You want miracles, you want signs and wonders, they are happening on your left and on your right. But if you don't learn to value those people, there is supernatural power running through the person on your left and the person on your right. But if you don't learn to honor them, you are gonna miss out on every supernatural miracle that God has inside of them that is meant to bless your life. It's honor. We don't honor because someone deserves honor. We honor because we are honorable. I value you because I value myself. Watch what happens. The scripture says that he was unable, this will mess with your theology. He was unable to do many miracles except heal a few sick people. What? That's in the Bible? Yeah, that's Mark 6. That Jesus was unable to do something yeah, he was unable to do many miracles because the culture of dishonor had created a door that was blocking them from receiving their blessing. It doesn't seem like much. It seems so subtle. It seems so small, but it creeps into the body of Christ left and right. We just get used to it. We just get familiar with it. You can fake it all you want. Familiarity will breed contempt. Familiarity and faith, they are not friends. Luke chapter four is the same story. And in Luke chapter four, it's cross-reference. And it's Jesus in his own hometown, but we get some more details. For as Jesus is in his hometown that day, he, he walks into that synagogue and there they are, they're all looking at him going, how does he know this stuff? Asking the same exact questions. And Jesus, he speaks aloud because they're going, why can't you do the same miracles you did in Capernaum? And Jesus gives them two examples. He gives them the example of Elijah. He says, believe me, there were other widows in Israel that needed the help of the prophet Elijah, but their familiarity had prevented their faith from going. And so it was Zarephath that Elijah had to go to. And in the same way, there were other lepers all over Israel in the time of Elisha. But Elisha, he left Israel and he went to the place where Naaman was. I wonder today, could it be that Jesus is saying, hey, it's because you stopped believing. It's your familiarity that stifled your belief and your wonder and your awe that you've stopped seeing the beauty. You've stopped seeing the wonder of it all. I gotta fight familiarity. I gotta fight back. Can't get everything from God overnight. I, I gotta go on the journey of following him. He does not want a distant fan. He wants an intimate follower. 
And the intimacy with him is created, not in the good times, but in the hard times, in the pain, in the struggle, in the fire. And so I don't give up and I don't quit. I keep my eyes on Jesus and I walk through it, believing I will come out on the other side like pure gold. Where did he learn this stuff? And you gotta love Jesus. He's probably thinking to himself, I learned it right here in this very church. And Jesus, he doesn't pick up the prophecies of Micah and he doesn't pick up the prophecies of Jeremiah. Instead, he grabs the parchment of the prophecies of Isaiah. It is so interesting that it's in Isaiah that we discover there are more New Testament messianic prophecies in that book alone than any of the other Old Testament prophecies. Jesus, from a young age, was sitting in that synagogue as a young boy, listening to the rabbis teach from the prophet of Isaiah. And the whole time they were telling the story, Jesus knew, this is my story. You're teaching me my story. You're telling me what's going to happen to me. And so Jesus, he steps into that synagogue and there they are in his old hometown in the place that's overlooked him, the place that's neglected him. And he grabs the prophecy of Isaiah. And he opens that scroll and he turns to that place. Luke chapter four, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. When he sat down, that was like a drop the mic moment. All spoke well of him and were amazed. And Jesus declared today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's fulfilled. Remember Mark chapter one, go all the way back to January. Some of you can't remember it. Mark chapter one, verse one. Mark's entire thesis is to reveal to you and I that Jesus is the Messiah and he is God in the flesh. Jesus is all God in all men. That's a statement that we say quickly that we don't think about nearly enough. The idea that he's all man means that he put on flesh, that he struggled like I struggled. That when I complain, I say this temptation is too great. He's like, no, I know all about it. I know all about it. You can put your trust in me, Rich. You can get through this, but you don't understand. Yes, I do. I know what it's like to be a man. I, I sympathize with you. He put on flesh, God in the flesh. He is all man. Yet the idea of him being all man is strictly brought back down to our perception. How do you see Jesus? Because for so many, when they see Jesus, they don't see all man. But when they see Jesus, they see all God. And there are others that when they look upon him, they don't see the God, they just see the man in the flesh. And friends, you get to choose what you believe, but what you believe determines what you get. Where did he get this knowledge? And where did he get this wisdom? How can he preach like this? And how can he share like that? They were so impressed with his wisdom, but he had to stop them in their tracks and say, you have been studying this prophecy for so many years, something like 700, 800, 900 years. But I am here to tell you today, the reason why I can teach like this and the reason why I can preach like this is because he has anointed me to do so. The reason why I can come with boldness, the reason why I can come with power is because I am not just the boy from Bethlehem, but I am the God from the heavens who came to walk amongst you. I came to walk amongst you. I came to have relationship with you. And I don't need much, but I need something. And you get to choose. How do you see Jesus? Oh, I went to church. I, I was raised in Christian school. I know the worship songs. Oh, I already know this Bible story. Oh, friend, I would be careful with that kind of chatter because I'm telling you today, it's that type of chatter and that type of talk that begins to limit your faith, that begins to diminish Jesus down. Friend, you don't have small faith. You have a small Jesus. And if you have a small Jesus, 
doesn't matter how big your faith actually is. I know I'm over my time, but I just sense this word. Verse six, it's closing. He was unable to do many miracles. Verse six, and Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. I don't know that. Wait a minute, Jesus. Um, you mean my sin is not amazing to you? No. But my mistakes, they got to be amazing to you, right? Nope. But how about my failures? Like that, that's not amazing. No. What about my shortcomings? What about my tendencies? None of that's amazing. There's only two times in the New Testament that Jesus is amazed. First is Luke chapter seven. It's the faith of the centurion. That when the centurion hears the word of Jesus, he says, you don't have to even come to my house. By your very word, I believe it. This is faith. That if you said it, I believe it. And Jesus stood back and said, yo, I haven't seen such great faith. And he was amazed at the faith of the centurion. But the second time that he's amazed is right here in Mark chapter six. He is amazed at these people, not for their mistakes, not for their failures, not for their humanity. He is amazed that they do not believe who he said that he is. I wonder how you're amazing Jesus today. Is it your great faith or is it your lack of faith? He doesn't need great faith. He just needs small faith. And if you'll just give him the small faith, if you'll just put some roots into the ground connected to Jesus, you might bend, but you don't have to break. And today I just, I sense it so deep in my heart is a word for so many people. Familiarity is the enemy of faith. And friend, the way that you're gonna move forward today is that you must take the splinter out of your heel. You must take the log out of your eye. You must tear down the door that is preventing you from stepping into the supernatural. Splinter, logs, and doors. Splinters, logs, and doors. What am I going to do with the splinters, logs, Indoors. How am I going to handle the splinters and the logs and the doors in my life? How will I ever get past the splinters, the logs, and the doors in my life? Sounds like you might just need just a carpenter. You see, every part of Jesus was on purpose. There is not one element of his life that is wasted. And even the insults and even the criticism and even the things that they hurled at him. Oh, I want you to know today that that which they have been criticizing you about, that which they have been saying is trying to limit you, God says, I'm gonna use it. Because today there is a carpenter in the house and he has come to remove the splinter of offense. He's come to remove the log of offense. And he's come to break down the door that you might step into the supernatural. If you believe it today, Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.